Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how you doing today, brother? I'm uh, doing pretty well. Uh, I'm starting to enjoy a little bit of the spring weather coming through. How about you? Yeah, doing well. It's, it's been pretty beautiful out here. So, uh, But, you know, I'm looking forward to even more than it getting uh, warmer uh, as uh, tomorrow, as of recording this, I'm going to see Avengers Endgame. Probably by the time this is posted up, it'll probably make $20 billion in the box office, but uh, we're pretty excited about that. That's right. You are, you're a big movie guy, and you like the superhero movies. So is this like the 100th one they've made or something? Uh, or the, uh... I think it's the 22nd, if I remember right, uh, which is nuts. So. <laughs> That is, yeah, wow. That's a lot of movies, and that's a lot of money. It is a lot of movies. Uh, You know, uh, one thing I especially like about them is, as a kid, one of the few things I read was I would read a little bit of uh, Spider-Man comics. uh, and uh, But, you know, I've become more of a reader of things other than superhero stuff uh, uh, as I've grown older. Uh, And so I want to ask you, you, Ben, so what what have you been reading lately? Let's see. I've been reading uh, a fascinating book called The Juvenilization of American Christianity. Um, it's about how the appeal, trying to, to keep young people in the church over time, it started kind of after World War II, um, then it caused the, the things that people were thinking about to, to bring down the, these juvenile ideas that it affected the whole church and the Christian faith in America. Um, I've been reading some parenting stuff, marriage stuff. Um, yes. So, so you've gone past the comic books. What are you getting into? I have. So right now I'm reading kind of three books, uh, and three different times that I've been reading, um, uh, the reason for God by Tim Keller, uh, which is kind of an old classic, but, uh, I'm just getting around to that. So I'm, uh, reading a book by Donald Whitney, a professor of ours. I think you had him as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I had him, uh, his book on praying scripture, which is really good. And, uh, oh, then I'm all- sitting here on my shelf to give away. It's great. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, I'm also listening to an audiobook uh, as well as reading a little bit cause I have a physical form as well. A, uh, that a biography of, uh, Woodrow Wilson, one of our presidents. So I've been really in- into presidential biographies recently. That's cool. Yeah, I've uh, I've listened to a few presidential biographies on uh, audio, found them fascinating. Woodrow Wilson actually lived just down the street from where I am when he was a boy for a few years. Uh, his dad was the pastor of yep. a church here on the corner, and so oh, there's a little plaque with his house. Never right. been in it, but I'd like to go. Yeah, representing our Presbyterian brothers, right, and sisters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, you know, I... Um, that uh, I really started to get into reading not long after I became a Christian. And would you guess what uh, my first, the first really uh, Christian book I read after I became a Christian was? Oh, man, I don't know, Chick Tracks or something? No, it was actually a book I saw online on sale. Uh, that And I'd heard of the author before, and I didn't remember where I'd heard of the author. But so I ordered it. And it was a book by John MacArthur called The Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, and uh, uh-huh. it's kind of a, it's kind of a more of a dense book for a high schooler to read. Uh, but I was probably a junior in high school when I read it, a relatively new Christian, and uh, I just do- dove into it. And he made it was a book talking about the lordship of Christ and how Christ is the has to be the Lord of our life uh, if He's our Savior. Uh, and I think it was made compelling, strong biblical arguments, and it really shaped my theology, and I think it helped me understand some scripture passage I was struggling with right as a new Christian. Uh, that uh, Have you read that uh, excellent book? No. I, sadly, I, I have it on Kindle, um, and I'd like to read it. I've read you know excerpts of it, and I've heard it discussed a good deal, but I have not, um, not read the myself okay well regardless uh, we're going to talk some about lordship about uh, 
answering the question, who's the boss? And we're not going to be talking about that old 1980s TV show. Uh, but I want to ask, I need to ask you, Ben, then, first of all, who was, uh, who was your first boss? Well, it's this guy named Draper. I uh, worked for a car dealership sale or a service department. And so he was my boss. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's a harder uh, that question for me to answer because my dad owned a business and a uh, home building company. And so I would work with him kind of from a very young age on and off, uh, like from like nine or ten. I do work for him. Uh, but, you know, my first boss that wasn't my relative uh, was a woman named uh, Joanna at a movie theater I worked at when I was 15 or 16. Uh, and uh, so I worked under her for like a year until I got a better job job so uh and <laughs> that's it's, yeah i got a better paying job even at 16 or 17 so uh now did you follow that boss okay. well then i think i i followed him pretty well i mean he was a pretty easy boss to work for um didn't make a whole lot of you know he he gave me a lot of leeway and you know i got the job done and i got to drive a, a porsche uh occasionally so nice. you know that helped Nice. So, uh, that, uh, doing less of that as a pastor, I assume. Uh, surprisingly, yes. Um, I, yeah, the church hasn't provided one of those for me yet. So you tell me you're not one of those preachers and sneakers. Uh, the, the deal hasn't been finalized. No. <laughs> uh, uh, so <laughs> for me, uh, I think I didn't as much, maybe. I think I followed my boss well uh, when they were looking, uh, when the boss was watching, uh, but probably less so otherwise. I, I think I just mostly worked jobs, uh, those jobs, because I wanted the money and wanted to do the bare minimum to get the money while at the same time impressing enough to be able to get a pro get promotions and get, because uh, I think I did get a promotion uh, within about six months and then uh, and getting a better job from that, so... Uh, but I just did enough to get ahead, but I didn't really care. I don't think. Oh yeah. So, uh, that now, uh, what are, we're talking about being a boss and being a Lord. So what are Lordship salvation and free grace theology been, or is that just nerdy talk? <laughs> uh, well it may be, but I think the ideas behind it are really important. Um, the, the Lordship salvation, you, you know, John uh, MacArthur, wrote that book, um, but he didn't invent this. Um, I think maybe the, the tag just got put associated with it, but it's it's part of, uh, the idea is that part of coming to Christ is accepting all of who he is, which includes he's Lord. You can't just accept him as Savior and then later you know accept him as Lord. He, he is the boss. He's the master. And so um, you know, it's an attempt to factor in all of who Jesus is and presenting the, the gospel and the call to repent and believe the good news um the free grace on the other side is sort of a pendulum swing um and this is from the mouth of the guy who's head of this thing called the grace evangelical society um probably the biggest proponent of this doctrine um or this interpretation of, of scripture and he said the distinction is perseverance um that you don't necessarily have to persevere in faith you just have to be persuaded that what Jesus promises, which is eternal life, if you believe in him, uh, if you believe that that's true, then you'll be saved at some point. Even if you walk away, even if you become a Muslim, um, you, you've got eternal life. Uh, it's very transactional, as I understand it. Um, repentance is kind of only a change of mind. You, you agree that Jesus is who he says he is. He'll give you eternal life, but it's not so much a change of direction of life. Um, and so I, advocates don't necessarily encourage living in sin, but they say, well, that's not fundamentally necessary to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. Um, now, I think it is an attempt to guard the gospel of grace from works. I think it goes too far and doesn't factor in all of the, all of the biblical data, uh, you know, everything that the New Testament says um, about the gospel and how we're supposed to respond to it. Yeah. 
No, I think those are good assessments of it. So, uh, one thing I, you know, I, uh, I think it's important, you know, even looking at it, like you said, it doesn't go back to, it's not just John MacArthur did not invent the concept of lordship and repentance being integral to salvation. Even Martin Luther, I mean, Martin Luther, he, uh, in the 95C thesis, he wrote, uh, when our Lord and master Jesus Christ said, repent, he will the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In fact, it seems to be more mm-hmm. of a modern movement uh, from a theology, from an extreme form of Calvinism, as well as a, or sometimes as well as an extreme form of dispensationalism that would kind of deny the role of repentance in, in faith. So repentance, has, I, a mar- a mar- uh, Dever describes that as the flip side of the coin, as the other side of the coin, uh, that uh, you went, that repentance and faith always go together in our salvation. We repent and we believe uh, together in, in kind of one act uh, after we regenerate, after we come to Christ, after Christ makes us born again through his Holy Spirit. Uh, we respond to that truth in repentance and faith. And that's what Lordship Salvation kind of describes. And But like you said, uh, free grace theology is 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 this really lighter and more just kind of an intellectual ascent in the way that you know so salva- that believing in Jesus is like believing that uh, that believing that stone called empirical fact that bacon is the best uh, best food in the planet. <laughs> yeah, well, and the the analogy that you mentioned about the flip side of the coin that's a really helpful one i think i use that with kids at our church talking about you know cuz i think it is pretty accurate that if you are by definition if you are turning to the lord in faith which is a biblical phrase um turning to him by default you are turning away from something else and you know sin is is going away from the Lord. Um, sure, it's believing other things that, you know, maybe that would make you right with God if you depend on yourself or being good or whatever. But you are, I mean, Acts talks about that turning from, uh, from dead works or turning from idols to the living God. And so it's turning away from something to something else. And so it's just fundamental to the definition of turning to the Lord. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about it already in, in that point, uh, but I want to ask, what does this have to do with Next Generation Ministry? Is this completely irrelevant to it? Um, no, I think it's actually very relevant. Now, I wouldn't sit down, now kids, today we're going to talk about Lordship Salvation, or, um, but what you believe about those things does definitely affect how you present the gospel to the kids, how you call them to respond, how you try to disciple them along in the Christian life, because there can be a tendency toward, and we've talked about this at length before, uh, there can be a tendency towards, you know, this mentality, all you got to do is just ask Jesus into your heart and sort of agree to these facts about Jesus, sort of like, like you said, agreeing that bacon's the best. Um, and then often assurance is given immediately. Don't let anyone let you ever doubt that you're going to go to heaven. Um, and there's more resting on the fact that you've agreed to these things than there is actually resting on the person of Jesus who is the one who saves. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I think you really hit the nail on the head on that. The only thing I would add, I think, which kind of just reiterates your points, though, I, I think it means more than anything that we can't stop preaching the gospel when they've made that the quote-unquote decision to follow Jesus, uh, when they feel that they've had this emotional reaction and, and we can't tell whether or not there's been a real heart change. we got to keep preaching the gospel and uh, and pray that it takes hold because it's not always what take that— uh, Lordship salvation means just because a child has an emotional uh, or intellectual reaction doesn't mean that real real life change has actually taken place, that real conversion has really taken place. It only happens when there's a new heart, uh, a heart that desires mm-hmm. the things of God um, more than it desires the things of this world, even imperfectly. But that new heart is a product of our salvation that's given to us in Christ. And what are the dangers of getting this wrong? Or on the or getting this wrong and heading towards the free grace approach, or what would be the danger of going too far uh, towards lordship salvation with children and youth? Well, I think you know to start off with the first part of that question. Um, if it's, if you just agree to these facts, then you know, okay, you're saved. 
um, and then we assure you, like I was talking about, and then there there can be giving a false assurance, and uh, that can be pretty dangerous to someone's soul because then you're telling them you're okay with God when really maybe the Lord has begun to work in their life and they're feeling conviction of their sin. Um, and yeah, they do believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died, that kind of thing, but they're not actually resting in him for salvation to bring them to God. Um, they're not there yet. Um, to assure them, oh, everything's okay, That's that can be a, uh, a dangerous thing for their soul. Um, on the, the flip side, though, if you go too far, there can be almost this workspace. Did you repent enough? Is he Lord enough? Um, I, I think it can lead to doubts, unhelpful doubts, um, and to too much introspection. I mean, Paul does say, you know, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Um, but he doesn't, he says that one time, maybe there's a couple other references similar, but it's, it's the, that's not the centerpiece of his teaching. Um, but it could lead to that kind of uh, morbid introspection and, and gazing to, you know, sort of spiritual navel gazing rather than looking to Christ. Um, and this, this workspace approval to begin with, to be saved, I'm trying to repent enough, or keeping God's approval, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta keep repenting. And, and like I said, you know, you just end up focusing on on your progress in the faith or you're, you're slipping rather than looking to the Lord. Yeah. So I, I want to add to that that uh, I think uh, another doctrine, another belief system, I think really protects you in this way, actually. Uh, and, you know, and there will be listeners that don't have this belief system, uh, this, this theology, and that's okay. Uh, but I think it protects you from from having any sense of either even belief as, as a work or repentance as a work. And I think that's the idea that our regeneration, our being given a new heart, actually happens before we have faith in Christ. It happens just before, uh, just before we have faith and repentance. And it's given to us as a gift from God. So then we're given a new heart in salvation, and then faith and repentance actually spring out of that. And I think if that's what you understand, you couldn't possibly see uh, really faith and repentance as in any sense a work that's earning your salvation. Instead, it's, it's a product, a fruit of what, uh, a proof indeed of what God has started, God has done in you uh, before you could even react and respond. Uh, and the natural response then you'll have is repentance and faith. So I think it's important to, to navigate that I think understanding regeneration, a new heart does come before faith and repentance, uh, I think would help you to not go towards one extreme or another. Uh, but I think ultimately getting this wrong, getting it wrong in one way or the other means hell is in the balance. Uh, I remember a um, in the city I'm from, uh, there's a very large church. Uh, that's very reliant upon kind of the free grace movement and gets big numbers of people that you just commit uh, and, you know, and don't live a life that's really radically in any sense changed. Uh, and I actually remember I was part of because uh, I was a young kind of growing into spiritual leadership. And through my high school, I was able to be part of a discussion among some spiritual leaders in the area. And uh, one of the leaders of that church was kind of being, was bragging about how, you know, we're making an impact nobody else is making. Yeah, people are, you know, that they might be living well, but, they, but they're able to go to heaven now. And, uh, and who could argue with that? And another pastor actually responded and said, basically, hell isn't actually in the balance. Uh, what you're doing is, I mean, you are helping people go to hell is all you're doing. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. And uh, by telling them, you know, that they have an assurance by hindering the ability of people to proclaim the gospel to them by giving them an assurance that they are a Christian when no regeneration has taken place, when no real salvation has taken place. And I think that preacher was right. Hell is in the balance. If we get this wrong, people go to hell that might not go to hell otherwise. And that that should, I mean, be a huge impact on our understanding of this. Uh, and uh, But I do think, you know, in the other extreme of ho- focusing too much on lordship and making it kind of a, uh, that, uh, a burden to bear uh, that we could veer towards a work salvation where no one can ever have a sense of assurance and, uh, and people are always have to be afraid, you know, they're going to step on a crack and break their mama's back and go to hell and, as well while they're doing it. And I think those are both <laughs> dangers. I do. And I think... 
I'm sure there are some proponents out there who would put it just, it doesn't matter what you do, just, you know. Um, but I think probably the best advocates of it, um, they're not saying, we'll just go ahead and sin, um, but they would, I guess in the end, if you push them, would say, well, yes, if, even if you do continue in sin because you have believed. Um, so I, I don't think any of them are trying to give people a license to sin and to run from the Lord. Um, but I, I don't agree in the end that that is the uh, – that that's the way – you know, the best way to read what the preaching of the New Testament, pre- you know, the preaching of Jesus uh, and all that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do say that I, – I agree with you that it's uh, – that, I mean – it's a lot just driven by theology and it's wrong theology and these people that teach are mostly legitimate regenerate Christian that teach a free grace theology. But I think sometimes I do wonder the motives of those who are very active in it. And I think it's shown in a very uh, active, prominent uh, pastor that's influenced a lot of young people. That's not a pastor anymore. That was big on the free grace movement. And I think in a really childish way, I wonder if he, uh, that uh, when his life kind of turned around, when it revealed that he was behaving in horribly immoral ways, I wonder if the free grace movement attracted him and was such as passion because it forced him to not have to have to reconcile and deal with his sins, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that happens so, in other cases too. What does it mean in effect, though, then, for Jesus to be Lord for a five-year-old, or for Jesus to be Lord for a fifteen-year-old? Uh, well, I think uh, that Jesus is the boss. Um, it's uh, it's this attitude of I want to please him. And I want to do what he says because I recognize that he is the one who's in charge. Um, and so for those who are living under their parents' authority, which is a five-year-old or a 15-year-old, and, and in between, um, obeying their parents is a very big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that can be evidence of it because that's the first line of authority, human authority, that they where that attitude towards the Lord and his commands um, can be displayed. And so um, that's a big way it shows up. Yeah. So I find it interesting, you know, this idea of lordship. I mean, everybody has a lord. Uh, there's the old Bob Dylan song, Everybody's Got to Serve Somebody. Uh, and I think repentance is serving somebody. Uh, lordship is serving somebody. And it's changing allegiance. Our, our allegiance before was to self. And I think in a 5-year-old and a 15-year-old and a 50-year-old, uh, when salvation occurs, to some degree or another, you're going to see a changing allegiance of allegiance from self to allegiance to Christ uh, as their ultimate boss and Lord. Uh, that, And I think parents are going to see this the best. Uh, those that are with kids in and out uh, for both the five-year-old and the 15-year-old. But specifically for the five-year-old, uh, I think uh, that Jesus being Lord for a five-year-old uh, means that, uh, that the five-year-old will make, if they believe in Santa or the Easter Bunny, uh, they will make more of Jesus than Santa or the Easter Bunny. That Santa or the Easter Bunny will t- come far uh, less significant in their life. It's just one example uh, than Christ's lordship will be. Or, you know, if they don't, that their commitment to Jesus won't be just akin to the secular kid's commitment to Santa and the Easter Bunny. Instead, it will be something overriding and something that drives their whole life and that impacts how they view each and every day. Uh, and uh, I think for the 15-year-old, uh, that they will follow Jesus when it costs them something. And I think teenagers, to me, I work with teenagers a lot, and they're at times where they're first starting to see that uh, this that uh, people don't always smile upon you for following Jesus, for making much of Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to come into times where it's going to actually bring some great costs and bring some consequences. And the 15-year-old that's made repented is going to follow Jesus even when it costs them something. That who do kids and adults naturally make their Lord? Well, I think it's naturally themselves and their desires. Uh, it's, you know, if they're five, you know, I want that toy or they're two. Uh, I want that candy. I want that iPhone, whatever it is. But it tends to be, you know, our desires are driving our life, what's in our heart. And so we, we're going to go after what we want. And so uh, it's ourselves. 
And ultimately, I mean, Paul makes this case in uh, Ephesians 2, says that, you know, all, everyone comes into this world under the power of Satan. And then when he's given his testimony of how God worked in his life, um, towards the end of the book of Acts, chapter 26, he talks about how God gave him the mission to turn uh, Gentiles from the power of, of Satan to the power of God. And so, you know, that it's not to say that they're actively going, oh, I want to worship Satan today. Um, but their their life is un, in the power of the evil one. Um, and so I guess you could throw, lump him in there. Yeah. Power of sin. Yeah. So I think you're right. That's the really the main one. I also think uh, kids can, and adults can naturally make uh, their peers their Lord, naturally worship the opinions uh, and fear the opinions of their friends. Uh, and I think that impacts their religion. Uh, but, you know, when talking about lordship, you know, actually, I think it's interesting uh, because just because somebody's religious, just because somebody's involved in the church, it doesn't mean that God is in any sense their Lord. Uh, I think religion can be sometimes this affirming our own self-pursuit. Uh, I think of a, um, a candidate for political office, I won't say who it is, uh, but this man or woman uh, that uh, wrote an op-ed describing, uh, th- uh, describing their faith. Uh, his faith, whatever. Most of them are men anyway. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he basically <laughs> described it as, you know, his religion uh, is, just a fr- is just an affirmation of what he already wants to believe, of what he already wants to do. Uh, so, you know, the just like vast majority of people, I think ultimately it shows that he's his own Lord. And, you know, his religion is great as a way of affirming his own lordship of self. Mm. It's pretty poignant. So uh, that now our repentance and lordship fully the work of man. Uh, I would say no. Also, the Spirit enables uh, us to come. Uh, and Spirit in Second Timothy two uh, talks about you know God would grant them repentance. Um, I guess there's some question in my mind with the in the context whether it's talking about believers who have strayed or whether it is unbelievers. But still, I think you'd say. Um, it sort of doesn't make sense to say, well, an unbeliever has to repent on their own, but then a believer has the help of God to repent. Um, why would the unbeliever repent to begin with? Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, it is something that humans actually do. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, this robotic sort of process. Uh, it's like Israel and Deuteronomy. They're about to enter into the promised land, and, and Moses tells them God is going before you, and he swore to give – he swore to your ancestors to give them this land – he will give it to you, but you have to cross over. You have to go to battle and march out there. And so um, it was required of them to to take action, but God was in it to, to bring about the victory. So I think it's a similar dynamic. Yeah. So um, I think a passage I think of a lot of times in this is Ephesians 2.8, which is debated on the meaning. Uh, but for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And I tend to interpret in the way uh, that the Reformers, as well as some early church leaders did, that the Get that it's not just that the uh, that salvation is a gift of God, the grace is a gift of God, but instead it's referring to the faith uh, as not our own doing, but the gift of God. And that doesn't mean that we don't believe. Of course, every we believe, we make the choice, we participate uh, in God's work. Uh, but you know, it's really more God's work than it is our work. Uh, I think, yeah. So one way I've sometimes uh, described this idea of lordship and faith as not being just out of our own self-will uh, is, you know, I, th- I see salvation sometimes like uh, a blind man is on a train track. A blind and deaf man is on a train track, and a train's about to come and uh, run him down. And somebody comes, and uh, they miraculously cure their blindness and their deafness. Uh, that not long before the train comes. Uh, and so the person's going to choose uh, now that he has this new eyes, this new ears, this new heart, these new desires, they will make the choice to get off that train track. But they don't really deserve credit for getting off the train tracks. You know, it was really uh, ultimately that choice sprung out of the uh, out of the new nature where they've been changed, where they see this danger, and where they have uh, new desires that are inherently going to jump away from the danger. Uh, and so I see it as mm. you know, kind of that if that makes sense as an illustration analogy. Um, That's pretty vivid. 
but and I think as we grow also, like you said, I think there's more elements of partnership even. But it's as even then it's partnering with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so I in no point is repentance and lordship just self determination and self will. Right, right. So, but do young children know what lords and lordship are? And if not, what's a better term for kids? Uh, I don't think that most of them do. Maybe some. I think that boss is probably a better term. Um, and often the term lord in the Bible is referring to someone who is a boss or a master. Or could have been, you know, for a slave. But um, that, that's the idea, that that's the person in charge. Um, we hear lord you know, used in the Bible, talking about the Lord, Yahweh, um, we don't, I mean, even adults always fully connect. It's just sort of like a name for God, like might as well be Mr. or yeah. something. <laughs> uh, and so I think boss is a helpful term. Uh, and so I think we're being faithful to the meaning of it when we use that. Yeah. So I use boss typically with children as well. Uh, and I slip up because I've done so much children's ministry and sometimes even with adults, I have to accept Jesus as your boss, uh, which is a little weirder, uh, but it's okay. Uh, and uh, But I think if we do this, I do want to encourage the listeners, uh, if you're going to present Jesus as boss to a child, uh, that make sure that you speak well of your own boss and make sure that you don't inadvertently portray to a child uh, that a boss is a tyrant or a doofus uh, that you could do better than. Because uh, I think that will implicitly impact how you and that your gospel witness to your kids. That's a really good point. So uh, now how does this relate to baptism and church membership for kids and youth, Ben? Well, I mean, you and I would understand that we are to baptize those who can give a credible profession of faith. Now, that simple statement right there is there's a lot of meaning that could be unpacked, and people will disagree about what a credible profession of faith is. Um, but I think at, at the base, it's some level of repentance and a clear belief or hope in Christ that they can express. Um, and so when you've got kids, whether they're young children well, and I'm not super comfortable um, baptizing someone who's really young. And I don't have a specific age that I, I say publicly, like, oh, I won't go under this. No, in my mind, I have kind of a range like, well, even, even if I think so, I just need best to wait. But um, with a, a child or someone who's passed on into puberty, um, they live with their parents, they live under the authority of their parents. And so I think it's it's asking their parents, you know, is there is your child different? Are there patterns you see that are different since they've been professing faith? Um, are they more obedient? Do they confess sin to you that even that you didn't know about? Um, looking for those kinds of signs and not just simply, well, Johnny says he's a Christian now, but there's that's really the only difference in Johnny's life is that he says he's a believer. Um, and so um, and when we baptize, it's, it's, I think it's connected with membership. It's not uh, not just some isolated religious act. And so um, looking at some level of repentance. Now, I don't think, you know, you, well, we're going to put a, put you on probation here for two or three years to look at your repentance and really inspect it. Um, but there's got to be some level of that uh, before I, I'd be willing to, to baptize someone um, acting as a, you know, on behalf of the church. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? So I, I think you make some really good points. Uh, thing I'd add is, just the reality is repentance is something that's harder to see than intellectual assent. Uh, and so, you know, it's going to be easier to check these boxes and to know for sure if all you believe is intellectual assent. But repentance is something uh, that it requires a lot more paying attention and a lot more work. And I think one of the things that's going to require whenever we consider membership or baptism for anyone, really, is asking hard questions, asking questions uh, to see whether or not they're trying to and that kill sin in their lives, whether or not they're bothered by the presence of their sin and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, because I think repentance is that natural fruit, uh, regardless of the age of a person that's being uh, being uh, considered for membership, baptism, or to even uh, use that strong term of calling them a Christian. 
Well, and you know, you're working with with youth, um, and so that changes the game a little bit. So, I mean, let's say you've got a, a student who is has been sexually active, um, and they're not really seeing a problem with that. I think that you put the brakes on and go, wait a minute. Now, Jesus says, "If you love me, you'll do what I say," and you know, you're identifying with him, but then yet you're not uh, conforming your life to something very clear that he said. Um, that can be a real, that's a real blatant kind of example. But, um, I think things like that, when there, there's this fixed pattern of sin, they've, they've sort of made peace with it and they don't see a problem with it. Uh, that's something where you want to raise some quite, like you said, asking hard questions. Yeah. So, um, is this just another salvation issue? We talk about salvation a lot on this podcast. Uh, but if it's not just a salvation issue, how is lordship about the whole Christian life and even eternity? Well, obviously it is salvation related. And I think it's it's a an important thing that we do talk about. We've talked about it from a lot of different facets because it is so central and because eternity is in the balance, um, because the gospel is such a big deal in Scripture. And so I think it's worth our time to really be clear about that. Um, but it does make a great difference on Friday night when your 10-year-old's having a sleepover or your teenager's holding their smartphone or they're talking with friends mm-hmm. at the lunch table. Um, you know, who is going to be the boss in those moments? Um, like you were talking about with a the teenager, they've got a taste of the world. Are they going to go the way of the world or are they going to uh, be willing to be uh, – you know, persecuted in a mild way for for siding with Jesus, obeying to him, submitting to him joyfully, um, and and being scorned for doing so, not going along with the crowd. Um, those kinds of things. So it, it does make a, a big uh, big difference in the day to day life, and and you know it can involve it involve eternal destiny, but also the, you know rewards in eternity. Yeah. I I like your point about rewards. I mean, there's varying degrees. I mean, repentance, uh, that one's repentance is not necessarily going to be as sincere or as impactful as another's repentance. Repentance and uh, and real and there are people that are Christians that get in by the skin of their teeth, uh, to use the expression, that are just Christian <clears throat> enough. They're just uh, have accepted Christ as their Lord, but have I mean are not diligent in that faith. Uh, and that that tri- that sense of a tribute that you've given tribute that you've given allegiance, but you're not really uh, living a life uh, that's making a substantial difference for the kingdom is not what God values. God values a life that's growing in constant repentance and daily uh, taking up the battle to fight against sin in ways that go beyond just the, even the minimum. Uh, and I think it's a daily act and a skill to grow in. You give some really great examples. I mean, even how you use your smartphone is a way that you see that. Uh, uh, but I think further that repentance is even a community act. We're called upon to help one another repent, to sharpen one another as the biblical term is used, to encourage one another as we fat, as we fight against sin, and to be the tools through which we grow in Christ's kingdom uh, towards one another. And that's not just a salvation. That's an every day. That's an every time you're in a small group. That's an every time you uh, get up in the morning and you battle against sinful thoughts type of issue. <clears throat> yes. So how can you model Christ's lordship in the everyday life for the children and teens around us? And this is specifically mainly about adults. I think first off, by joyfully obeying what God says in his word. I mean, you talked about um, when you're talking about the boss, don't slander your own boss, whether you're a teacher at church or whether you're a parent. Um, you, when you do that, it just it just undercuts what you're trying to, to say. Um, but joyfully obeying what God says and you know not complaining about it and, and that kind of thing. Uh, also confessing. And your sin and seeking forgiveness when you sin against others. You mentioned that on a recent episode um, about a husband that he was short with his wife, even kind of in a minor way, but he asked forgiveness individually of everyone that was there. Um, just modeling that, uh, showing I'm trying to bring my life up under Christ as my Lord, my boss, and so I need to to take care of this. Um, and maybe sometimes just admitting whether they saw you or not, admitting um, that you don't. That 
that you do fall short, but your desire is to do so. And, you know, pray for me with, with this particular area. Um, I think for parents walking through decisions with kids, whether it's um, decisions the family's making or the parents making or even helping the child or the, the teenager, but using God's word is the grid, bringing um, God's word to bear on those decisions. Um, and, you know, if you don't know, like, I don't know how, where the Bible will address this, you know, look it up, um, look up online. There's lots and lots of resources. Uh, or ask a pastor or, a, you know, someone, a wise person at your church, um, because there are people and resources there to help um, guide in that process. Yeah, I, I think your answer is great. Now, I'll just add them one personal thing. Uh, so one thing I think that has helped me in this. Uh, that I just kind of thought to do one time, I was convicted in, uh, was I, I took my oldest on a daddy-daughter date one time uh, in the past six months. And, you know, I asked an opportunity to ask her about basically my sins and my weaknesses that she sees and, you know, where daddy fails. Uh, and she, you know, she brought up right away my that uh, I'm on my smartphone too much uh, and, you know, always trying mm. to find information or read a book when I need to be hanging out with the kids and you know and I wanted to do that to show you know I, I fight against sin and I need to be fighting repentance and try to show how I can be an example and model of, to my daughter of repentance in that and you know I think I failed more often than not uh, but uh, I hope that that's a way that I can open up and, and allow my kids to you know tell me dad I think you're sinning in this and then I can exemplify repentance through fighting against that sin um, and I hope mm. that's an attitude that's, that's always really good. in my home. So, uh, and how do parents help their uh, Christian kids follow Jesus more and more as Lord of their lives? Well, I mentioned something a minute ago, but this, you know, bringing God's word to bear um, in their life and helping them to, to process through. Um, one thing I pray for myself a lot, and I, um, I think I have prayed this for my children, but I think it encouraged me to pray more. But Psalm say, Psalm eighty six eleven says, um, "Unite my heart, or give me an undivided heart, that I might fear your name." And you know, our hearts are at war because if we have the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit is renovating us, making us new. Um, yet the flesh is still there, and so there is this turmoil inside. And so, praying, Lord, unite my heart so that it's um, it's undivided. And and praying that for the child, um, the teenager, uh, Lord, give them an undivided heart to want to seek you, to obey you from the heart, not just they're keeping some rules, but the the overflow of their life is to do what what you say. Um, and I think gently pointing out their sin using God's word, like. It's not just, well, I said not to do this, so don't do it. But um, yes, there's a time and a place for that. But, uh, and Paul Tripp talks about this in his book, Parenting. Um, it's very good. But just using God's word like a mirror, you're holding it up as the standard, ultimate, that's the final standard, and letting them see themselves in light of that, um, and helping them to see their heart motivations, um, to see where they're not letting Jesus be the boss and the Lord. That I want to say, first of all, one thing that we absolutely can do is not making times we catch them in sin as moments to shame them and doubt their salvation. I have heard of parents, uh, you know, and even leaders and kind of encouraging the sense of, you know, when you catch your kid in sin, that calling out them, are you really saved in that moment? I think that all that does is produce shame. And I think that is a faulty understanding of repentance. Repentance is not whether or not we fall into sin one time or 87 times. It's about whether or not we're growing and whether or not we are battling against our sin more and a daily basis. Uh, but uh, I think we equip them and work with them patiently as you see sin. Uh, so we will see sin. I mean, we will see our kids sin or we'll see our kids hiding sin and lying and, uh, and t taking time to talk with them and showing them biblical strategies like you mentioned of fighting against sin. And, you know, and even checking up on them. I think that's the responsibility of parents as the shepherds in that sense. Uh, one way I think that one could do this actually at our church uh, that I think is a help is uh, for Wednesday nights, the uh, our youth, I make something called car combos, uh, which are discussion uh, points related to the youth message uh, on Wednesday nights on the way home. And it's an opportunity to really talk a lot of the questions I gear towards talking about sin struggles and where they're at spiritually uh, and where they're at in repentance 
repentance and use those kind of opportunities or whatever tools you can find towards that end. Um, that, that's, that's good. Thank you. Uh, how uh, Last two questions are kind of similar. And then, How should churches respond to children and youth who know the facts of the gospel but obviously live only for their own glory? Uh, I think you gently point out Jesus' own words, John the Baptist, um, the apostles preaching in Acts, um, the need to believe, but also to repent. Um, but I've not like on the level of some you know commentator, but I've looked through Acts, trying to be careful, looking at the, the way the apostles preach. Sometimes they just say believe, sometimes they say just repent, sometimes they say repent and believe, simply be baptized. But that is an essential element to it, that it's like we talked about earlier with the coin, you're turning away. Uh, when you're turning to God, you're turning away from something else. And so um, just pushing them to examine their life. Um, Philippians 2, where we're told, you know, we see Christ's example of humbling himself, giving himself for us and our salvation. Um, and that as a result of that, you know, the Lord has, has exalted him. And one day every knee will bow to the Lord, confessing He is Lord, He is Master. Um, that's a picture of submission. I mean, it may be glad worship on, on the part of His people, but um, everyone is going to submit one day, and so it's not an option. Um, and I think, too, you don't assure them of, a, of salvation immediately. Now, you got to be—I think it just takes a wisdom. Um, I would be pretty hesitant to just come out and say, you're not a Christian, Um but certainly you would not baptize someone um, in that position. Um, and, and you could offer assurance in the sense of if you are if you turn from sin and hang on to Jesus, you look to him, he's going to keep you. Um, but I think you're, you're trying to point them to the word. And obviously you're praying that the Holy Spirit would do a work in there. That's, that's beyond your pay grade to to make that happen. Yeah. What, what do you – what's your practice? So I think it's interesting because I think we've talked about some of baptism and with affirmation of faith early, uh, with intellectual scent, and then lives being changed and going away from that. And I think another consequence of that kind of thing, of giving too early uh, affirmation and assurance, is that when a mom and dad see their kid uh, as a teenager living for their own glory, uh, maybe still having an intellectual scent, uh, but behaving uh, in a way that it is in no way, shape, or form demonstrates that there's any change or concern for the gospel in their own lives, uh, that they will, I think, default to this idea that they're just a carnal Christian. They pray for them to not be a carnal Christian. They're just disappointed rather than regarding them as an unbeliever, as Scripture actually calls us to, to those that are living in unrepentant sin. Uh, and in that way, we love them. When we love them towards the gospel, we don't give any kind of affirmation of the faith. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because the biblical model for these kind of situations is normally church discipline. But I don't think you can church discipline a seven-year-old uh, that expel from membership <laughs> or, you know, a ten-year-old. Uh, but I think we don't, like you said, don't affirm them in the faith in these cases, but try to love them in delight. And how do you comfort, a, on the flip side, how do you comfort a youth or a child who isn't sure if they've made Jesus Lord enough, if their lordship has gone far enough or not? That's a good question. And this, this is a really good topic to address because it is very practical. Um, I think the fact that they're concerned about their soul and you know, how all that's working uh, is often an indicator that they have a soft conscience towards the Lord and that they're wanting to please him. Um, you can, I can't say 100% every time, but often the fact that they're bothered shows that um, they're wanting to please the Lord. Um, but I think you comfort them, ex you know, hey, we are accepted because of Christ, not because of how well we're turning from our sin, um, and that we're saved by the object of our faith. Now, you know, I'm explaining this to uh, an eight-year-old. It's going to look sound a little different, but that you know, the, the one that we're depending on is really the that's the issue, not how well we're depending. Um, and so, you know, Jesus saves really bad people. And he said, "I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." And so that He will receive even the worst of us, um, and that there's a lot of sin to clean up in our lives. And so, I, I think Hebrews twelve one and two talks about running the race set before us, and here's how. 
by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Uh, and so just trying to lift their gaze. Again, I, I think it's helpful for them to look um, at their own souls, but if they're just caught up looking at their, their own life and forgetting the Savior, um, you really want to try to lift their gaze to him, and, and that may provide some relief. That's great. I really love what you say there. Uh, I want to tell you your first thing. I really love uh, that Richard Sibbs, uh, and uh, he mm-hmm. wrote a great book that I think is related to this very topic uh, called The Bruise of Reed. And in that, he kind of gets to, to your same point. He basically suggested that those who struggle, those who doubt whether or not uh, they've truly repented, that's one of the marks of whether or not you're truly in Christ, period. Because those who, that, that the person that has only made intellectual scent, doesn't struggle with their lack of repentance, isn't bothered by, it doesn't question whether or not they repent enough. They're just fine. I mean, they're like that uh, politician I mentioned, where they just try to contort their faith around what they just want to do already, uh, or they just don't care. They know mm-hmm. they're doing this wrong and they're not bothered by it. But being bothered by your sin, I think, is a sign that the Holy Spirit's probably there. Uh, and I'm not going to say overtly 100%, but I think in general that principle applies to truth. Uh, and I think we'll also, though, like you said, rely on the cross as main insurance, but also rely on the community of faith. I think that's one of the purposes of the church that we often forget is that the church is there to affirm one another in the faith. And, you know, when we feel like, man, we screwed up, when our teenager or child feels like they've screwed up uh, and that they're just not really walking with Jesus enough, I mean, maybe the youth leader or, you know, or the children's ministry leader can show and affirm that, no, this child is active and we see it and other youth members see it uh, and mom and dad see it see it in the church that that you're growing and that's our far bigger basis of whether or not we can have confidence in our faith than what we see in ourselves that's that's really helpful to, to remember that so but it's good discussion so uh and uh this might seem really kind of complex and really uh that really deep in a a way, but I think this is hugely relevant. I think if we get this issue wrong, we do a great deal of damage spiritually to children and youth. And I think a lot of ministries have gotten this wrong in a way that has hurt young people today in the church. Yeah. um, I mean, I think the stakes are high. And again, those that, you know, err on one side they're concerned about a holy life and pleasing the Lord, and that's a great motivation, but maybe they've tipped too far um, and, and forgetting grace. But then those who, who emphasize grace so much um, can tend to maybe overlook some of the – unintentionally overlook some of the, the things about, um, you know, without holiness, someone will see the Lord. And, um, you know, I, I guess I don't want to come across as arrogant and go, oh, we, we found just the right balance here. I think all of us from time to time in our own Christian life can tend to wander one way or the other and um, and not have – precisely the the right uh, balance of those things that, that scripture addresses both very clearly though i think and so um we've kind of asked for his help yeah it's good well thank you for discussing this with me today and i hope you have a great day and i hope the listeners are blessed by this podcast god bless yeah thanks for raising the topic amen thank you for joining us for this episode of the theological family ministry podcast If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.